Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss when it comes to understanding political issues i am a self-confessed toddler that's why i've enlisted the help of steve my politically savvy drinking buddy to help me better understand politics every couple of weeks we get together and record on topics like what is the politics of language what is watergate how the internet is killing democracy we take these big issues and we break them down into silly little comedic bite-sized bits if you like the sound of that, then search for What Am Politics in your podcast app of choice or find us here on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome to Crimeland. My name's Julie J and this week, once again, I am talking to the absolutely fabulous... Sophie Shanley. Yay! <laughs> About the disappearance of Alyssa Turney. is a little bit different from what we usually do in Crimeland in that it's unsolved. So it's a proper mystery. And I have to give, before I go go to my usual legal disclaimer, I do have to give a big shout out to Sarah O'Malley who got in touch and she suggested doing this one. And I looked it up and I was like, oh, this is super interesting. So please, if you do have any suggestions, Get in touch with either myself or Sophie. We'd only love to hear about your crime land suggestions. And we're open. We're pretty much open to anything, aren't we, Sophie? Oh, absolutely. And nothing's nothing's um, taboo with us. Yeah. All in. Nothing is taboo. It's all good. Yeah, it's all in. We're all in, baby. So please do get in touch. So, the usual disclaimer, absolutely no offence or disrespect is meant to anyone mentioned in this episode. Our sources for this one as well, I used a lot from a site called thehueandcry.com, Voices for Justice podcast, NBC News, Unsolved, 
Magazine and also justiceforalissa.com. I use that website as well. So I'll be talking about that a little bit more actually at the end of the podcast. So in 2001, Alyssa Turney was a 17-year-old junior in a high school living with her stepsister Sarah and stepfather Michael Turney. Sarah and her older half-sister Alyssa lived with Sarah's father Michael Turney in Phoenix, Arizona. The girl's mother, Barbara Stram, died of cancer so very sad when Alyssa was only eight years old. And Michael legally adopted her. So even though he was her stepdad, he was her legal guardian from the age of eight. Michael Turney also had three sons who were already out of the house by that time. Okay. So each sister had a very different relationship with their father. So basically, Michael was like this really nice kind of laid back, relaxed dad to Sarah, who was 12 years old. But with his stepdaughter, Alyssa, he was really strict and really uptight. And he was constantly monitoring like where she was going, who she was with and her whereabouts, which obviously as a parent of a teenager is understandable to some extent. But this guy just seemed to take it way too far. And he did tell Sarah, who was obviously a lot younger, she was 12, that he did this because Alyssa needed more guidance and direction in life. So needless to say, tensions between Alyssa and her stepfather were always high. I'm yeah. I'm quite upset really now because really just because she's not his biological daughter, he's kind of given her very different treatment to the other girls, which is very bad in my book. Yeah, it, I think it definitely was something to do with that, the fact that Sarah was his biological daughter and Alyssa was his stepdaughter. It definitely fed into the fact that they had two very different relationships for sure. So May 17, 2001 was the last day of school before summer break and Michael failed to show up after school to pick Sarah up. So because this was the last day of school, Sarah's class had actually gone to the water park in Phoenix for the day. And she ended up, because her dad didn't pick her up, she ended up walking to a friend's house to wait for him. Somewhere between four and five, her father finally arrived and told Sarah, wait for it that Alyssa was missing. It's strange because obviously, you know, Sarah had uh, had breakfast and everything with her sister that morning. Her sister was very, very excited because, you know, it was the end of term. They were going to have a big dance to celebrate the end of year. Mm. So she was in really good form. So Sarah was surprised to hear that her sister had kind of gone AWOL. So obviously being her little sister, she the first thing she did was she used her father's phone to try to contact Alyssa on the way home in the car but couldn't reach her at the house Michael had asked Sarah would she check Alyssa's room so he said why don't you go into Alyssa's room and see is there anything there that you notice or any clues as to where she's gone so in Alyssa's room she found the contents of Alyssa's backpack scattered on her bed so like as in that the backpack had been upturned and the contents were all over the bed her mobile phone was on top of like a chest of drawers next to a note and the note read dad and sarah when you drop me off at school today i decided i really am going to california sarah you said you really wanted me gone now you have it dad i took 300 dollars from you that's why i saved my money 
So what what are you thinking about the note? Uh, I'm very sceptical about the note, that mm. Alyssa writing the note. Also, if um, Daddy wrote the note, what a prick, to be pinning this all on a little 12-year-old that she was leaving because of her. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Very true. I hadn't thought about it like that, but you're right. Very manipulative, if that was Very manipulative. And also, yeah. like, why was the backpack upturned? So so he's saying that she'd gone to school, come back, left the backpack, but taken $300. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Why would she not bring the backpack and her stuff with her? Yeah, exactly. It's 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 it is a bit it's a strange one for sure. And also, as you say, that is a really good point that like it's so cruel if that was the case that he was trying to put some blame on Sarah because you know, sisters fight. So the fact that she would have said something to her you know, obviously nobody means these things in the heat of the moment, especially when you're argu- arguing with the siblings. So you can imagine poor little Sarah, who's only 12, she's only a baby, how she would have responded to this. I know. So this was not surprising to Sarah, though. So even though she was, you know, obviously shocked to some degree, she wasn't she wasn't too surprised either because Alyssa did have an aunt in California who she had talked about going to live with recently as she really just was not getting on with Michael, the dad. So Sarah was like, okay, she has been talking about going to California. You know, maybe that's what happened here. So then that night, Michael, who used to be a cop himself, called the police to report Alyssa as a runaway, but he didn't do that until 11 p.m which is a little bit strange because you would think that, you know, obviously if your daughter's missing, that you're going to report this straight away. But police opened a missing missing persons file, but no investigation or follow-up was done as Michael claimed she was a runaway and that he knew her location was in California. So he said to them, look, I just need to let you know that my daughter's gone to California, but, you know, she's not a runaway in the sense that I know where she is. But he didn't. So why did he bother ringing the cops if, you know, he's just kind of pulling this out of his arse? He's just doing well, it in case. Yeah. I don't I don't get this. Like, well, it's is it, he's is just it doing just it in case, exactly like, you know, it's, is it a bit of box ticking? Yeah. And also he's yeah. uh, he's a crafty little fella but he's like oh you know he's got his little experience with the law he's like oh I can get around it this way if I kind of give them the heads up that like oh I'm I'm kind of looking for her. like she's gone but like I know where she is so calm down lads don't, don't yeah. start looking yet it's fine. I think I think you're spot on Sophie it's that thing of trying to cover cover his own arse here in saying that, yeah. you know, this girl is gone. But then, as you say, he's trying not to, you know, he's not particularly panicked and he's saying to police, but don't worry, she's in California. So they're not really going to start looking for her with gusto if the dad isn't that concerned. And then a week after Alyssa disappeared, Michael told police that he had received a call from her early in the morning where she blamed him as the reason she left. She told him that she was in California and that she was never coming back. He even provided police with his phone records to prove the call. And sure enough, on the phone records, it did show that he had received a call from California. 
During the years after her disappearance, Michael started telling family and those close to Lisa that he thought something terrible had happened to her. He thought someone might have been following her or caused her harm. And since police were not doing anything, he had to search for her himself. Michael would also make several trips to California to search and pass out missing person flyers of Alyssa. Very interesting because, like, why is he doing all this kind of like personal searching? It seems like a bit of a a bit of a ruse, a bit of a kind of a yeah. It's you know, a bit like of a cop out, maybe, is it? Yeah, it's a bit half arsed when the actual police could have been doing that job. Do you know that kind of way? Well, he's obviously a control freak as well. So the police, he has told mm. them basically not to worry. Meanwhile, he's taken on this personal quest to find Alyssa. Yeah, like feverently, like, look, like, you know, I'm doing little quotation marks here, like looking, searching for Alyssa. But actually, you know, he's told the, <laughs> I don't know why I keep saying cops, he's told the cops not to bother. So he's just doing a pretend little game, really, so everyone can see that he cares. Yeah. It, uh, it just, it, you're kind of thinking exactly that, that you're kind of thinking, yeah, I mean, if you're that concerned, surely you'd take this up with the police. But in 2006, several years, of course, about five years after this had disappeared, the police got a lead from a man named Thomas Heimer. So Heimer was in a Florida prison. He was serving time for murder and he sent police a letter confessing to Alyssa's murder. But police eventually realized the letter was a hoax. What? However, yeah, so this happens all the time and we've, you know, encountered this before in Crimeland where you have these people who are obviously just completely amoral and so apparent that they look to just insert themselves into other crimes that they had nothing to do with. Um, but the one good thing right. that did come out of that, though, was so they said to themselves, they were like, OK, it's definitely not this guy. So yes, it did yeah, yeah, make yeah. them kind of investigate Alyssa's disappearance because like, they hadn't maybe really looked at it the first time. So that is a good thing that did come out of it. So basically, in those years that Alyssa had gone missing, she had not contacted a single one of her friends or anyone in her family, including the aunt she was supposed to live with. The $1,800 she initially had in her bank was still there untouched. Her social security number was also never used, which of course would mean that she could never have gotten a job and she never went to school again after that. So Well, I mean, it became clear to police at that stage that this was not a runaway case because, you know, any runaway would access $1,800 if they had it in their account. They would use their social security number. So they knew then that this was not the situation that they had been led to believe. You would be asking yourself, did it really have to take six years for the police to realize that things weren't adding up? But it did it's, take them It's that a little long. bit uh, embarrassing for the old police, really. That, well, you it's, know, it's that just, long. yeah. It's not a good day at the office, no. So no. police learned that day that the day Alyssa went missing, she was not actually in school the entire day. So bearing in mind, this is six years later. They find out, wait first, that Michael had picked her up from school at lunchtime. No. 
Yes, which was actually confirmed by her boyfriend, John, who said Alyssa told him she was leaving early, but she would see him later that evening at this end of year party that they were all going to. Many of her friends also claimed that she told them that she would see them later that night at the party. So when they questioned Michael about this, Michael said that he had picked her up to get lunch at lunchtime. And when they got home, they got into a fight about house rules, which ended with her storming off to her room and him leaving the house because he said he had some errands to run. But I mean, this is something that he hadn't mentioned previous. I think it sounds like he lost the plot and did something he shouldn't have, doesn't it? Well, I mean, the fact that you wouldn't mention that you had picked your stepdaughter, your daughter up at lunchtime when she's gone missing is, I mean, to say it's a bit of an anomaly is like kind of understatement to the century. Yeah. So police also discovered that Michael, himself a former cop, of course, was Mm. very adversarial and paranoid. He was a very paranoid person. So he had documented every incoming and outgoing call to the house and he had cameras placed outside of his property. But this is what I found really creepy. There was even a camera hidden in the vent of the living room. Oh, he probably had one in the toilet as well. Yeah, like, I mean, he was basically monitoring his own family. So whatever about having cameras outside the house, why would you need a camera inside your sitting room? I think he might have had his own personal family big brother going on that he was kind of getting a bit of a buzz off, the little creep. Maybe it was a bit of a goggle box vibe. I don't know. But like, you know, watching people watch TV. But it's definitely just strange. You know, it's not something you'd usually usually encounter. Maybe he maybe this was the original goggle box, but I doubt it. I wonder, was he was he a very small little man? You know, sometimes those small men can be very irate, like little little terriers. Like he sounds like he's very that kind of paranoid thing. Like he's ready to kind of attack for no real reason do you know what I've seen photos of him and I kind of get the tall vibe but you know Uh, it's all relative because you don't know you don't know how tall the other members of the family are I mean somebody could maybe look at a picture of Tom Cruise and think he's a well-built tall man you know well this is I mean you know if Tom Cruise was standing beside Suri you'd be like oh my god he's he's a fine tall man but of course Suri now is probably like 17 is she I keep thinking she's five or six and actually based on what we know it's unlikely he'll ever be standing beside Suri let's face it he's not winning dad of the year award anytime soon but this neither is this guy but I I I think he's tall but I couldn't be 100%, but I think based on the few photos I saw of him, he is tall. But the police obviously asked for videotapes on the day of Alyssa's disappearance. I mean, obviously, this is a long time after the fact, but Michael told them he had reviewed them and there was nothing to see. When they asked for the audio tape, yes, and when they discovered pretty soon after Alyssa went missing that he would record, like, say... Uh, you know, he would record, like, obviously what was going on in the house, what was going on outside of the house. He had audio recordings. And when the police asked for these, he told them that, unfortunately, on the day on the day Elicitus appeared, the recorder had been turned off. Oh. So nothing was recorded. Oh, no. What a coincidence. 
I mean, and you see, the police couldn't do anything about it because ultimately they just had to take his word for it, even though, of course, it's ridiculous, as you say, like, what a coincidence. So at this point, uh, police now had enough probable cause to search the house. So again, this is like six years later. Um, you know, they, 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 there's kind of a lot of fishy behavior in that. Like there's this huge gap in his story, which he's never told them about, which is that he picked her up at lunchtime, brought her back to the house. And that was the last he saw of her. Uh, and then, of course, this whole issue with the recording. So they decided to search the gaff. When they searched the gaff, they came across 26, wait for this, 26 six homemade pipe bombs. Jesus Christ. Which is a lot of pipe bombs, isn't it, Sophie? It's a lot of pipe bombs. You'd knock out the whole of Ireland with all those pipe bombs, wouldn't you? I mean, it's just like 26, so one for each of the Republic counties. Well, that's um, a a 90 page manifesto which is just too long I don't care who's writing the manifesto 90 pages is too long written by Michael that's like that's proper kind of Hitler-esque stuff he wrote a manifesto and isn't it just the most egocentric thing ever like thinking the world wants to hear my thoughts they've got to find like I mean they've, they've found this already but they need to find something that points them like something something really murder scene now come on tell me what else they found well, this is it so in the manifesto just to say as well that michael claimed that Alyssa had run away but he believed she'd been followed by two men and during his time so he believed she'd been, she'd been followed by two men from the electrical union he used to work for during his time at this electrical union he was a whistleblower and he believed this is what he said in the manifesto that the men took revenge <laughs> on him by murdering a Lisa, which you know again sounds believable he then in the manifesto said that he avenged her death by killing the two men the oh. men of course he was referring to were actually died of natural causes so I mean, like completely I deranged of, I can't get over that like he'd already kind of you know he'd, he'd blown the whistle he'd already pissed off the men but he continues to, to keep it going even after their death to try and blame them for her murder like yes. where is this yeah. man's head going <laughs> like it's I, just well it's it's not going to any good place that's for sure no. so they recovered loads and loads of loads of videos like tape video tapes audio recordings from the house but yet could not find one single thing from the day that Alyssa went missing so again this was very strange now one thing which really kind of changed the direction of this case and got police thinking about this case in a whole different way letters were found where Alyssa claimed that she had been molested by Michael and contracts were found that Alyssa had signed where she said that she had never been sexually assaulted. Friends, her boyfriend and a right, teacher so later go. confirmed about hearing these allegations. So they did find these letters. So straight away they were like, okay, this is what we need in terms of motive. This is like, you know, really concrete stuff. So Michael Turney ended up pleading guilty to the pipe bombs and served 10 years in prison. He was also declared to have a paranoid personality disorder and required to participate in 
like, you know, certain treatments when he was in prison. But meanwhile, Sarah, who, of course, now is a grown woman, she has been absolutely relentless in her pursuit of the truth. So on her website, Justice for Alyssa, she says there were over 20 statements given to the police stating that Alyssa was being physically and sexually abused by her father. These statements were provided by friends, family and a teacher of Alyssa's that her father was actually dating, which I just couldn't believe. There are also letters written by Alyssa describing the abuse. The relationship our father had with Alyssa is commonly described by those who knew her as one closer to an abusive boyfriend rather than a fatherly figure. He was extremely possessive, would often sit in the car park of Alyssa's part-time job to ensure she was where she was supposed to be. He constantly warned her friends and their parents of how she was gullible and unable to take care of herself. He also required her to sign contracts that included a clause stating he had never sexually or physically abused her and then approximately again Sarah writes this on on her website approximately one year before Alyssa disappeared child protective services received a call from her father stating that his stepdaughter Alyssa was going to call them and falsely accuse them of sexually abusing her so he would buy her a car oh he acknowledges this very convenient then that she disappears off the face of the earth just as he's about to get in a load of trouble and get kind of, of you know, of being yeah. yeah and Sarah does she ends that with saying he acknowledges this but states that he only called to ask what he could do when a parent is being falsely accused it should be noted that Alyssa in fact had had a car but she sold it because she was afraid to drive so she actually wouldn't have been badgering her dad to get a car. Like that just wouldn't have been something she was doing. So also, I thought this was so weird that at the time of Alyssa's disappearance, I've never heard of this. So their father owned two identical trucks, one which he hid from his six children. So he effectively had like a decoy car. Oh, that is so weird. Isn't that the weirdest thing you've ever heard? Oh, like an identical version of the same car. Yeah. And then, so these were like trucks. And he then sold both the trucks very soon after Lisa went missing. Oh, do you know what I'm thinking of? That Stephen Avery car park, the big giant one. Do you remember? Oh, God, yeah. That's probably where, like, the likes of that place is probably where... Uh, this, this, we need to do that case as well because I have a few questions about that case. I have so many questions, and that yeah, we're definitely going to do that one. So obviously, Michael, being you know the psychopath that he is, he has refused to give DNA to the police. He is always and continues to refuse a formal interview with the police. However, sorry, he did how, say, how is he allowed to just refuse? Well, this is it. You see, the thing is, I suppose the real killer with it, with this, with this case is, uh, the real problem with this case is that there's no forensic evidence whatsoever linking him to Alyssa's death. So, like, the police are going on the assumption that Alyssa is dead, but there's yeah. nothing to actually confirm that she is dead. 
Right. So it's, you know, even though all the evidence would point in that direction, I guess they could obviously get him on the pipe bombs because that's like physical evidence mm. in his house. You know, he's made the pipe bombs, but there's no forensic evidence linking him to death. And there isn't really any evidence as such that's probably concrete enough to point to the fact that she is dead. Yeah. Up to this point, that is to say, but he did say he would give an interview with the police. Hilariously, he gave these conditions. The meeting would have to be on live TV. He would have to have the ability to interrogate his entire family, the judge in his bomb case, and two detectives from the Phoenix Police Department. So this would be more like, a chat than an interview because he has some questions <laughs> for them, Sophie. He's an absolute that, bloody These people he's mentioned, like... he's a complete nut job. So these people that he's mentioned, i.e. his family, the judge and the detectives, they would have to be given polygraphs, but he doesn't trust <laughs> the Americans, so he would have to have a Canadian operator because you know where you stand with Canadians. Okay. All right. Did did they do Sarah. it? Did they do it? Because, I mean, no. it sounds like he's no. trying to, like, just put everything in place to make it so impossible that they're like, oh, do you know what? Fuck it. We won't bother. You are a pain in the hole. Forget about it. Well, this is it. Like, obviously, like, they're not going to say yes to all those conditions. Like, no way. But, interestingly, Sarah, in the last year, has managed to get an audio recording of her father because her dad then was released from prison yeah. and was looking to rebuild a like relationship with Sarah. And Sarah was like, absolutely not. Like, you kill my sister. Mm. And she has an audio recording of Michael taunting her with what is close to confession with him saying, be at my deathbed, Sarah, and I will give you all the honest answers you want to hear. Isn't that so awful? So he's another one that's holding out for a big deathbed finale. Yeah, big, big dramatic deathbed finale. Oh, we were discussing them last week. All the attention on and, me as I die. Oh, you know, wait with bated breath. I've got some saucy info for you. I'm going to leave you with a cliffhanger. What a little bastard. What a little murdering bastard. I know. Actually. He's the worst. Yeah. And he then... He then said that he would tell everything if the state agreed to give him the lethal injection within 10 days of his confession. So he said, yeah, I will say everything if you agree to execute me within 10 days, which again, no court of law is going to agree to do that. Like there has to be a process. So Sarah Turney announced in, in, in on her podcast, Voices for Justice, that the Phoenix, this, this is kind of a big deal. It happened a few months ago. Okay. Um, that the Phoenix Police Department are submitting Elise, Alyssa's case to the prosecutor's office for charges against Michael Turney. So she has finally gotten the police department to look at bringing charges against Michael for the murder of her sister. This is in large part due to TikTok campaign no. started by Sarah to get her, yes, to get her sister's story back in the news. So this happened a few months ago. Oh my God. And she started this, yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. She has over 600,000 followers. What's the dance that goes with it? What's the tune? <laughs> 
I know. Well, this is it because you know the way TikTok is so kind of light-hearted, like kind of jovial, yeah. bit of fun, bit of mad dancing. So I guess the fact that TikTok isn't really the form for the usual form for these things, maybe that's why it got so much attention. Yeah, and a lot of people were telling her, like an awful lot of people were telling her, this is not the place to be discussing your sister's death but she was so right because it did get a lot of attention she ended up in an article for Elle magazine amongst amongst others talking about how she was using TikTok to get this investigation reopened and it worked well more power to her because I didn't see that happening and I'm gonna have to look at it now it's well I think it's well you know what I think fair play to her it's you know obviously it's been nearly 20 years now so it's very very sad but hopefully now that they're looking at pressing charges against Michael Turney hopefully hasn't been confirmed yet they might get some bit of justice and if you do want to find out any more information on that you can listen to Sarah Turney's podcast which is Voices for Justice for more information and case developments and that is the story of the disappearance of Alyssa Turney. Poor well, Alyssa. Oh, it's a very Julie. sad story, isn't it? It's so sad. It's so sad that she had to go through all that bloody torture before, you know, the final, what we are pretty sure is end. You know, like, what a, what a hideous tyrant. I know, I know. I'm looking at him, by the way. Yeah, I mean, he was... Oh yeah, but he looks—he looks like a bit of a psychopath, doesn't he? Mm, yeah, it's that that those eyes. He's doing like a head to the side, like eye popping look at the interviewer. Here, I can see. Not into that. Yeah, he's is he's kind of beady eyed, isn't he? Beady eyed oh, little fella. Tiny eyes, and there's another one where he's got his arm around her, around her shoulder, but there's a very definite squeeze like it's more than just like I'm protecting you it's more like don't fucking go anywhere don't open your mouth do you know I think yeah and I think I think Sarah's analogy of him being more like a possessive boyfriend it I mean it's so tragic to think about it but it it sounds like that was the case that it was it was that kind of dynamic which is just so awful for Alyssa and it's terrible as with all these stories you know, it's been two decades now. It is very sad yeah. that it took so long. I know. To kind of get enough on him that they could even consider pressing charges. I mean, it's insane. Very lazy. But hopefully they will get justice now. Wasn't it? It was, it yeah, was all but, very half-arsed until now. So it's great that it's, you know, turned a corner and there's a bit of momentum behind it now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fantastic. I mean, you could look at the frustrations, like why was it that it took so long for the police to ascertain that he mm. took her out of school early? You know, why weren't there more questions about why there was no videotape from that day? Why wasn't her, you know, why wasn't anyone following up with the aunt or the fact that she hadn't used her bank account? So, I mean, she was failed at so many points yeah. that hopefully now you can, you can, you know, we can say that hopefully it's turning around and justice will be done. But it's just very, very sad and absolute kudos to Sarah, her sister, who just is the most amazing person and is doing 
a stellar job at keeping her sister's story in the news. So well done, um, well done to Sarah. I don't know how yeah. you would summon that strength, but she's fantastic. And her Voices for Justice podcast is out there as well if anyone wants to give that a listen. Definitely listen to that. What was mad was his last, like his last little like bargain with the police that like, you know, he wants to be given the death penalty 10 days out, like, you know, lethal injection 10 days within 10 days after his confession. Surely he could have just confessed and gone off and killed himself. Mm. Yeah, that's actually, actually, that is a really good point. I never thought of that. Weirdo clause that he brought in there. But you see, is but maybe because he's such an egocentric, maybe that wouldn't even cross his oh, mind. Yeah, he'd want the people on the plastic chairs watching him, you know, shake and die. It's, well, I mean, I think, I think the whole thing, whether it's the police interview or I'll tell all if you give me the oh. lethal injection, it just points to the fact that he is a control freak. Yeah, up to the very end. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, he definitely oh, yeah. did it, didn't he? He did guilty as sin. Well, I mean, we really, I think, I think all the evidence is pointing in that direction for sure. Yeah. Like you couldn't say anything, but, and actually, um, Sarah Turney, uh, Alyssa's sister, she does have um, a website as well, Justice for Alyssa, and on that she has five reasons why I believe my father killed my sister. Okay. And it's very hard not to read those five reasons and not think that he did kill her. Yeah. Um, so she lays out a lot of evidence there. Um, but she's just an amazing person. And please, God, hopefully justice will be done for Alyssa. Yeah. Jesus, fingers crossed, because um, can't have him out in the world. Oh, he's just a terrible, terrible person. Um, so we, but, but it's looking promising. There have been developments in the last couple of months. So we'll just, you know, stay hopeful that there, that there will be some kind of conclusion to this. Sophie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Mrs. Thank you for having me again. And I'm going to look up a juicy little case for next week. Oh! can't wait the tables are turning next week because Sophie's doing a case so I can't wait oh hopefully it'll be a good one now I'll put my uh it'll be great great. you'll be brilliant maybe you could find us a happy crime I don't know if they exist that's a big challenge Julie we'll give give it a go (laughs) we we like it we like it dark and interesting we like it dark and interesting that's our brand Sophie it is okay that's our brand Perfect, perfect. Sophie, have a lovely week, Mrs. You too. Mind yourself. Stay safe out there. Talk to you soon. Bye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.